Yes, we are on the air live once again for another episode. Coming to you from various undisclosed locations. Some of us high above the Mellow Mushroom in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, are, are, are you high? Are you high above the... See, i got to finish that sentence, don't I? Uh, are you high above the Mellow Mushroom today? Uh, let me see. I am... Actually, no. I'm sitting in my very own bedroom, the truth be told. Uh, and uh, that, by the way, dear listeners, is the voice of our host, co-host from the left coast, the Commodore, Aaron Porter. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, we've got a, a just a gorgeous spring day. Actually, summer has arrived today. We'll be in the mid-80s, mid-upper 80s today in Franklin, Tennessee. A, a, a cloudless blue sky always does my spirits good. I'm optimistic. Easy to, easy to be optimistic on days like today. Um, uh, hey, give us a quick uh, update, man, on life in San Luis, and then I've got a letter to read. Uh, life in San Luis. I I got a ticket yesterday. Oh. I I answered the phone for a brother in need while driving a short three-minute commute without my Bluetooth device, and I got pulled over. But but then there was no safe place to pull over, and the police officer felt that I was trying to evade him. And then then I pulled into an alley where he thought I might be trying to lure him. (laughs) So then he was on the speaker telling me to pull out of the alley, and then he came out of his car with his gun half-drawn, and I was just trying to pull over safely. And so we had a long chat about that. And I tried to explain, man, I, you know, sometimes you got to break the law to keep the greater law of love. <laughs> and he, he totally disagreed with that. Yeah, and so yeah. he he gave me a ticket anyway. So that, that kind of oh. bummed me out. And, you know, I, I just thought it, of China. I thought, should we not break... China's law to take Bibles in or something. But then mm-hmm. I thought if there was a legal way to take Bibles in, then would it be appropriate to be thrown in jail doing it illegally? There were just so many questions for me yesterday. So it was just, you know, it was a rough day. It was a rough you day. were you were caught in an ethical thicket, were you not? It, it, I, I was. Yeah. I was. It, it, really, it really wasn't that thick because I probably, you know, could have just pulled over and had the conversation. So it wasn't really that thick. It was more of an ethical thinnet. But uh, <laughs> I I did get a ticket, which was inconvenient. Yes, yes. So how's life going for you, sir? Uh, you know, going going well. Allie and I, Allie's got some uh, medical challenges right now. And so uh, we're, we're visiting a lot of doctors, and that puts a, a, an emotional strain on both of us. Uh, but aside from that, you know, it was just Mother's Day, and we had a house full of kids and grandkids and, uh, you know, a cookout uh, and uh, just a wonderful time together. We're, I'm just so grateful, man, that God has spared my family, spared my marriage, and that I've got uh, close relationships with kids and grandkids. And I uh, had a couple of funerals this week here in town, two funerals in one week. But once again, they're in those um, services and in the receptions and meals that followed so much close connection with people who Allie and I have come to know and love over the years. Um, To know that we live and die in community. I don't know if you wanted a a sappy answer like that, but that's where we are. I've, I've been reflecting an awful lot this week on mortality and community and what's really important in life and just been a ton of reminders in the last seven days. That That is a lot going on. Well, that's sappy or not, that's real life. So yeah, It is, that is. All right, well, hey, what, uh, when we come back, let's, uh, I've got a, I've got a letter I want to read and we can talk this over. It's really kind of eavesdropping on another conversation. We'll talk about it in just a second when we return here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. 
are back. We are back with a letter in the bag. Yeah, actually, I was copied on this. This is a letter that uh, one of the pirate monks in Austin, Texas, sent this week to his brothers in the group. And uh, I was copied on it and got their permission to read it on the podcast. This came from Mike Burton, and he wrote it to a bunch of his guys. It opens like this. Uh, One of the testimonial letters in the back of the Samson and the Pirate Monks book has this line. One of the ways I learn is by talking aloud to see if it sounds like the truth, unquote. Great statement. As I was thinking about it, I realized it might be more ambiguous than it sounds. I think there are two ways we can approach an environment that creates a safe place to talk out loud about the shameful and taboo parts of our lives. The first way is that we can use it to try to become honest. That is definitely what this guy's talking about in the context of the letter he wrote. This is what sustains our groups and keeps people who know they are natural liars and hate it, returning. The second way is that we can use it to practice sounding truthful, which is another way to say we can use it to practice lying. I don't... uh, Can you guys hear me? This is Bert. All right. Hello? Hello. This is Dennis Twomberg. Hey, Dennis, how are you? I'm. <laughs> All right. We've had we some. That, that is our guest who we are going to introduce to you all in just a moment. But first, I want to hear the rest of the letter, Nate. I'm enthralled, so please take, take it back a sentence and continue. All right. We got some technical difficulties here on the Pirate Monk podcast and radio extravaganza. But it's right. only because we're, we're keeping it real. We're keeping it real, man. All right, so so get back to that letter. I want to hear the letter. Okay. The second way, he says, that we can use uh, this statement is to practice sounding truthful, which is another way to say we can use it to practice lying. I don't think anyone who's doing this is aware of this when it's happening. I certainly don't. It mostly becomes apparent to me After hearing enough other guys get brutally honest, I get this feeling like, man, I really missed it tonight. I just filled up the room with a bunch of nonsense compared to that guy. But even if I don't speak a word, I can still be using the Samson Society to practice lying. That is, to practice lying to myself. The best liars are those who believe they are truthful. So, when that is my agenda then regular attendance at recovery meetings can help me stay on the razor-sharp edge of deception. It helps convince me of my earnest heart. It helps me believe that I am a truth-teller if I'm regularly attending a recovery meeting where others are getting real. Perhaps the most honest thing I can say in these moments is to tell everyone in the room something like this. I've realized I've just been using everyone here so that I can check the recovery meeting box every week. I like feeling honest more than being honest. Or maybe, I like having the title of Silas on my recovery resume more than I actually like being Silas. I do think there's a part of me, a spiritual deviant, that would rather feel earnest than be honest. It's the same part that's present when I write an email like this. Now, uh, just now, he says, I'm remembering Dan, one of his buddies there, saying something like this one week when I was still going to the original Samson meeting at Austin Christian Fellowship. He said something like, the only reason I'm here tonight is because I said I would be. I really don't want to be here. I'm just going through the motions. Now, everyone knows how Dan assumes a servant leader's role in the group. He was basically saying that he was full of crap in a very raw in-your-face kind of way. You are full of crap, Dan. But really, how full can you be when you are honest about it like that? It takes a lot of sack to be that honest, that raw, when the respect of other men is at stake. I appreciate you, brother. Looking back, that was a moment when I knew that Samson was as safe a place as any I could find. To me, all of this really highlights how our only real hope 
is that the Holy Spirit is present in those rooms and in our Silas relationships. He wakes me up through the honesty of others. And if I have men who are truly honest in my life, I will hear them call me out on my BS enough to actually experience assurance of Christ's work in my heart when the same men say something like, dude, you really laid it out there tonight. Really helped me. Thank you. Or, Mike, you've come a long way. I'm glad to be running the road of gut-wrenching honesty with all of you, he writes. I think this might be the only road where unbridled competition amongst Christian men is completely valid. As 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Grace and peace be yours and mine through Jesus Christ. Mike. What a great letter. There's some interesting stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he nailed it. Uh, it's. Uh, I've got to agree. I. I would rather feel honest than be honest. Yeah, that was uh, a great line. Yeah, or feel earnest than be honest. And I can just ride on the honesty of others. Um, I can stay quiet in the meeting or dance around the subject, uh, and then you know tell myself. And I, I've done it. I, probably anybody who spent. Uh, significant time in Samson has been guilty of of doing that. Do you agree, Aaron? Yeah, I, I think there's there are steps to becoming honest, and there's yeah. also there's undulation. It's not all just uh, getting more and more honest and becoming a sage. Mm-hmm. I, I think when you first come into relationships and learn that you can be safe in a community of people, you get that rush of, this is incredible, I'm so excited, and you start to share yourself in ways you haven't before, and and that's amazing, and you are being more honest than you've ever been. Mm -hmm. But I know for me, as I've said before, I'm very good at being transparent without being vulnerable. (laughs) And most people think that I'm being honest, and I am being honest in a sense. I'm letting people see things, but I'm not letting them in my life. So then I get this huge credit for honesty when it's not a deep honesty. And so all of a sudden I find that the best place to hide my dishonesty is with shocking honesty. If I'm mm-hmm. shockingly honest here, I can keep being dishonest over here because no one would ever question me as a dishonest person if I'm so shockingly honest in these areas of life. Yeah, yeah. And that's when all of a sudden you start to undulate in seeing the depths of this dishonest heart of stone that Christ is transforming into his image. Yeah. And I think that's where the journey really starts to hit. Uh, what this guy is talking about, where it, it's the nuances of community and trusting people and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm ready for you to take me on a journey towards understanding what's really happening in my heart. Yeah, yeah. Well, Aaron, we have a guest today who has a passion for honest, authentic, no bull uh, male relationships. Uh, I've been hearing about this guy for a long time. Uh, read his book when it first came out, uh, I think in 2009. Uh, we're going to have him in just a second. When we come back, he'll be well, we're here. Not, we're not quite, we're not quite ready because he's he's not quite ready to come on. Oh, he's not. Okay. No, he's not. Uh, but I do have a question for you to kind of prep him coming on. Uh, I know you're a word man. Yeah. Because we've we've played Scrabble. In fact, I remember being on a team with your wife uh, against <laughs> you and some other people. Uh, and it, if I recall, we won using small words. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, how would you define the word ecumenical? Holy crap! Where does this question come from, Aaron? 
Okay. The, the, um, my mind, my my seething mind, ecumenical. How would you, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't have to be like Webster's. This is this yeah. is Nate Larkin's definition. Yes, ecumenical. layman's terms, ecumenical. Ecumenical, I would say, um, uh, it's close fellowship formed on the basis of the core of the Christian faith. Oh, nice. Okay. Because a lot of ecumenical movements have left a bad taste in my mouth. But I feel like in the last few weeks, uh, I, I don't know if we can add to the definition of ecumenical having a uh, a Catholic monk who's a contemplative spiritual formation man and then a Baptist comedian the next week. I don't know how that fits into an ecumenical <laughs> movement, but... <laughs> And yeah, I I think that should be added to whatever definition people have to ecumenical because that's where we're going today. Yeah, yeah. But when we come back, uh, oh, Dennis is ready, so we get to come back and talk to Dennis, the Baptist comedian. I don't know if he'd like to be called that, but I'm going there Are for you really? ecumenical purposes. All right. So we will be right back. Get your uh, dialing fingers ready. Oh, well, let's give him the number. Give him the number. If you 347 850 1769. That's 347 850 1769. Or, Nate? Fist 501 POW. Fist 501 POW. Yes, yes. The world's loudest acronym. Yes. And you can uh, be a part of the conversation this morning with Dennis Swanberg when we come right back. Love hurts a deep pain and gets worse when love remains All we know Love has never, ever failed All that's kind and all that's good Was pierced with nails into the wood Love hurts And deep pain And gets worse But love remains Well, welcome back we are here with our special guest, and we mean special in so many ways. But we'll let him explain his own <laughs> specialness, <laughs> no. because that's always a great way to start. Dennis right. Swanberg, tell us how you're special. Uh, well, my mama, Pauline Bernadine, loves me. She thinks I'm special. <laughs> And and my wife thinks I'm special if I've been on the road and, and sold some product, you know. So, <laughs> well, you know, she loves shoes. You know, my wife loves shoes. So uh, I try to I stay on the road. And sometimes I say, baby, I, I need to stay home. I mean, you know, good night. Oh, you can go. You can, you know, honey, I'm, uh, I'm on the road 150 events a year. Well, you can do more. I'm going to, I'm dying. Oh, you'll be fine. Okay. You know, if I'm home three days, she goes, "Don't you need to speak somewhere?" Of course, then I say, "Well, I, I hope so." And then when I'm, I get out on the road, I'm going freedom. But anyhow, no, I'm happy. Been married 34 years, we happy. If I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I'd be a truck driver. But no, I'm, I'm special. Yeah, just like you guys. No, Thanks for having me here. on, man. You let me, you let me vent a little bit. <laughs> Well, Dennis Swanberg... Hey, Bill Clinton would say, hey, I mean, you know, Hillary, it works for me and Hillary, okay? I mean, I mean, the only thing right now I'm praying is that Hillary will get her... I mean, that she'll fix her hair. You know what I'm saying? Because if she don't fix her hair, I mean, Herman Cain could beat her in four years. I just feel like that in my heart, okay? That's just the way I feel. Oh, Herman Cain, right here. I think I do have a chance. If she doesn't fix her hair, I think I got her. I think I can beat her in four years. I got a 999 plane. <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> All right. I better get me Lord. I better get. Uh, I better get serious. 
better get focused on the man code here. What <laughs> no, no, don't don't get focused too fast. We got we got plenty of time. <laughs> now, yeah, so like when I was a pastor, if I didn't if I didn't tell a funny or a joke when I was a preacher, I, I had some of my men, you know, if I wouldn't use some of my humor, you know, at the end of the service when they're I'm in the back shaking hands, you know, with that holy bob and everything, mm-hmm. you know, they'd come out and go, oh, "What's the matter? Where was my joke?" I said, well, you know, it's a little more serious message today. Well, I didn't get my joke. I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. Has someone been chewing on you? Well, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, anyhow, at least I had a few that enjoyed my humor. Yeah, how long ago, now, Dennis, you, uh, now you're a native of uh, Austin, Texas, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Austin, Texas, and then uh, ended up going to Baylor. I was raised, you know, Methodist, and, uh, you know, Got got saved in a Methodist revival. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was sort of an unusual thing, you know. But it's back in the, you know, the Jesus uh, Jesus movement and mm-hmm. uh, lay renewal kind of a deal, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah. And uh, then then next thing I knew, my high school football chaplain, you know, put me in his car and took me up to Baylor, and to be with all those Baptists, and which made me nervous. You know, because I mean, I'd watched Baptist all my life in Austin, and they were at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night visitation, Wednesday night prayer meeting. I don't know when they found time to send, but they did. They were very creative. <laughs> but, I mean, and, and you know, of course, Church of Christ were the same way. They were at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night visitation, Wednesday night prayer meeting. They just they just send a cappella. <laughs> but, uh, they didn't have instruments, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Unless unless Max Lucado had been around, but uh, <laughs> so I got up there, and you know, I mean, they didn't dance much, but the girls kissed real good, and I said, "Heck, I ain't I, I, to heck with dancing. I'm, I I enjoyed kissing, so I I joined the Baptist." <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, you got to be a part of some group. Sure, and and then then uh, you know went to seminary and and uh, serving churches. I I didn't you know at that time you thought well if, if God's calling me I, I got to preach or do right. music or right. education or missions. And right. I mean I knew about Grady Nutt and uh, Jerry Clowers, but mm-hmm. I didn't see a degree for it. You know. So, <laughs> So surely that couldn't really be real ministry. So yeah. I went, you know, I pastored and did all that. Well, finally, when I was 41, I was pastor at First Baptist Church, West Monroe, Louisiana, you know, and, you know, when I knew the Duck Dynasty boys before, now oh, they're cool. Really? Oh, really? You know, and, uh, you know, so now, uh, but anyhow, so in 95, I left the pastorate to say, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to. I'm going to go, I'm going to see if I could do what Grady did, what Jerry Clowers did. And the Lord was real good to me and let me do that. And 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 so, but the whole time that I did that, what, what kept me going while I did all that stuff all these years is my buddies, you know, uh, the men in my life, the guys that would keep me accountable, that would, you know, when we're on the golf course, it's Swan, that's, you know, that's a bunch of bull, you know, uh, you know, if I was yeah, yeah, about Laurie and tired of her, yeah, yeah, and, and griping and, you know, all that other stuff, whatever, you know, the labels we put on it, they, you know, they could at least call me on the carpet and say, Swan, well, let me tell you something. You know, you talk all the time. You never shut up. You know, I mean, she's a heck of a woman to put up with you. I mean, we just had to play golf with you. You know, <laughs> you know they, I mean, they could sort of put me back and you yeah. know, help me get in balance. Yeah. Like yeah. nobody else, because they're, they're my best buddies. And, you know, I just learned little things like guys would rather be corrected by a buddy than by their wife. Mm-hmm. You know, because... Our buddy corrects us. We can sort of storm off and say, "Well, fine, you know, just play golf by yourself." But 
you know, then later the next day, get your butt up here. We're short. We're short a guy for some. Well, I don't know. I'll get up here and get over it. Yeah. I, and bring me your driver. You know, I want to try you. <laughs> I'm playing my mind more. Well, I don't know if I want to get you up here, you know, and, yeah. you know, and you get over it because they're your buddies. You know? Right. And yeah. so, uh, and we had, we started a group, you know, early on a small group. And, uh, and so after we fleshed that out for, you know, all those years since 90, say like 94, really, mm-hmm. then I, I talked to Ron Smith, who was my partner and told him about the man code and the numbers to the man code and shared what we've been doing. And I said, you know, it's time to to write this story out. Yeah. And share it. I'm one of those. I, I sort of believe, you know, you, you ought to do it. You ought to live it. You ought to flesh it out, bleed, and then write it. Yeah. And so we did. And it's a simple little book, but the Lord's blessed that little sucker. And and uh, and here in West Monroe, Monroe, you know, we started with one small group of guys in 94 and there's probably 50 something groups that meet breakfast or lunch or evening uh, throughout West Monroe, Monroe. And we try to teach guys, we we try to teach them to call it. We don't put a church name on them because that'd kill it. Yeah. You know, we say, we just call them men's groups. We don't call them Bible study groups or prayer groups or, we try to say just call them a men's group and, uh, you know, some buddies, you know. Yeah. Try to have some. And then and then we let each group do their, they do their thing. Mm-hmm. Let them run it. They don't need some, you know, potentate. Yeah. You know, to run it. They're, let them run it. Yeah. So, so, so the man code, you cracked a numerical code for manhood. Explain this. I'm fascinated because I'm, I'm bad at math. There is no chance, well, except by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this could have come to me. Well, I'm surprised the Lord gave it to me, but because I was never good at math, my math teacher in high school, uh, she uh, algebra. She said, "If you promise to, I'll pass you. If you promise not to take any more math." And I said, "You got a deal, Miss Pennell." <laughs> I remember I I gave my math teacher uh, back rubs at lunch and she passed me. That's weird saying that now. Uh, I think that's probably inappropriate. I got out of there, buddy. Matter of fact, when I was at Baylor, I majored in Greek so I wouldn't have to take math. If you majored in a language, you wouldn't have to take math, so I majored in Greek. But anyhow, so. the Lord just sort of gave me these little numbers because I, when I was a pastor, I'd always had these deacons, you know, and these finance committees. They'd always say, hey, preacher, show me the numbers. Show mm-hmm. me the numbers. You know, if I want to build a building or do this manager, show me the numbers. Show me the numbers. So I thought, you know what? Lord, give me something that will relate to men. And, you know, they're always, they're always saying, show me the numbers. <laughs> something they can grasp, real simple. Yeah. So this is what he... He, he gave me when I was thinking along those lines one, three, twelve, one twenty, three thousand. And the first number is one. Every man needs a one on one with God. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just that's, that's basic. That's yeah. Uh, I, I had a 33 year old guy, a buddy of my uh, oldest son. Uh, they're both been in rehab together, and, and uh, you know, my oldest son got his four months chip about a week ago and Fantastic. he told me I I can share this. He's we've been waiting on him for about twelve years and it's just it was a great mother's day because uh my other boy he's been experiencing sober being sober for four years and mm. and so neat for Chad to have his arm around his mama crying throughout the whole Sunday service and mm-hmm. his brother holding her hand it's been over 12 years she's been waiting for a genuine authentic her boys are home you know yeah. boys are home it was just a great day but anyhow 
So he had his buddy over late last night, you know, Dad, can I bring him over? You know, he he got to page 40 on the man code, but it says if you're having trouble with the number one, don't go any further. So he, he said he ain't going any further. Can I bring him over? I went, well, good night. I'm watching the Batgum Texas Rangers trying to beat the, the – the A's. <laughs> All right, bring him over. I'll put it on mute. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on my man porch having a good evening. You know, I'm back there, got my cup and spitting good and everything. But anyhow, so here he comes. But you know, he's in rehab, so I ain't changing nothing. So yeah, he gets he gets back there. But you know, I talked to him about the one, and we had victory with the one, and so that was a good story. But anyhow. And the first number is one. You got to have a one-on-one with God. I mean, that, He's the Creator. You got to know Him, and that's the pivotal number for all of us. It's essential. The next number is three. Most men don't have three best friends mm-hmm. that can keep their mouth shut. Right. And that's just the damn truth. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 even at the beginning in Genesis, God said, "Let us." Make man in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three in one. You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've got David's three mighty warriors. You have Jesus' inner circle. Uh, you know, David and Jonathan uh, and, and God. You, the given is you and your wife and the Lord. That's a given. You know, some men say, well, I've got me and my wife and the Lord. I said, well, that's wonderful. That's a given. But I'm telling you, a man needs, he needs a buddy. He needs, he needs at least one buddy and the Lord. He needs a couple of buddies. He needs, he needs, he needs someone he can go to for truth, someone he can go to in a confidential way, uh, that's safe. He needs, sometimes I put this way, you need three, you need three trash men in your life. One that can drive the truck, two on the back. Load the trash, dump it, close it, smush it down, and then go ho, and then drive on. You know, <laughs> I got a man here in town. He told his kids, he said, "Your trash isn't safe with everybody, but your trash is safe with me." Hmm. And there ought to a man ought to have a couple of guys where his trash is safe with them. Yeah, I'm not talking in a criminal fashion, right? But you know what I'm talking about, just man stuff personal stuff. And we teach men that if someone confides in you in a in the three, you, you take that to the grave. You don't wait yeah. till well, okay, you know, uh, you know, he died and then you're out in the parking lot. Well, let me tell you what old Sean said one time way back there twenty four years ago. No. Mm-hmm. If, if it's confidential, you take it to the grave. We even teach our men there's times when I may say something to a friend and he'll say, uh, well, can I tell uh, Celine, you know, my wife? And mm-hmm. I, I may say, yeah, you can tell her, but don't tell anybody else. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes I'll say, no, I don't want her to know, uh, just you. And here's the deal. She will never, ever know. Yeah. Period. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, but that has to be taught. That has to be learned, you know, and uh, because that is very pivotal for a man. You you break that trust with a man, and he'll never open up again. That's he'll true. Just, he'll just shut her down, and the only one he might open up with is his attorney. Mm-hmm. And his CPA, if his CPA is underneath his attorney. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, you need those three guys. Yeah. And the next number, and then the next number is twelve. You need, you know, like you have the twelve spies, you have the twelve disciples. You need a group of guys that you do stuff with, hunt, fish with, golf with, Bible study with, talk with. You know, iron sharpens iron, that you talk about a lot of things together. You know, even sort of like, you know, AA, celebrate recovery, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and in that group, maybe you can talk about a lot of things, be pretty verbal about a lot of stuff, pretty maybe pretty vulnerable. 
But I, my personal opinion is, if it's really heavy, you don't you don't share it. You don't you right. don't share it even in that group. It's too dangerous. Yeah. If it's really heavy, you that's for your three. Mm-hmm. It's not for the twelve. It you go to your three. And uh, you know because it's safer with the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next number is 120. The day before Pentecost, there were about 120 of us. Well, that was the early church. And a man needs the church. I don't care how messed up it is. I don't care how hypocritical it is. You know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Uh, the church is where a man should learn how to connect. And a church is where a man ought to learn how to uh, connect with people and take care of people and, uh, you know, take care of problems. Matter of fact, he ought to learn all those skills in the body of Christ so that he could be great at it in the community and in business. But the church, a man needs the church. And I really believe, I mean, I know, I know this has holes, can have holes in it, but when I walk into a church, and if I see a lot of men there, active mm-hmm. men, that to me that's a healthy sign. Now it's it's not a perfect sign or a perfect indicator, but it tells me a lot. Yeah. But if I if I'm there and it's mainly women, you know, I mean I love I'm not against women in ministry. I'm all for it. But I go, uh oh. Something's this is this is not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is not good, but uh, you know, men are being uh, neutered in a lot of places, and it's a sad day when you see that they're not even there at the church. Yeah. So here and then, so here comes the final number, and then I'll I'll back off and and you know I will love giving you all the numbers. So if a man has one, three, twelve, one twenty in his life, that equals three thousand being saved on the day of Pentecost. Churches started, kingdom enterprises exploded with men. Once again, I'm not against women in ministry, but it was men that were on the cutting edge and things exploded, multiplied with men. Yeah. So those are the numbers, 1, 3, 12, 120, 3,000. They're sort of like slices of a man's life. They are the uh, levels of intimacy in a man's life. And so it sort of helps a man in the morning when he gets up or any time of the day when he, he can sort of take a quick diagnostic look at his life and say, how am I doing on the one, three, twelve, one twenty, three thousand of my life? Yeah. And he can yeah. do it quick. Yeah. And he can remember it. Because we don't like a big long workbook. We want to, <laughs> we want to see it quick and fast. Yeah. Quick yeah. diagnostic. Yeah, I love how practical that is. It's great. Well that's easy to it's not easy it's to remember. Not, it's not heavy duty. Yeah, it's a, it's a simple thing. And then you can go back and you can make and do a long study on one, on God. You know, it's like an old buddy when we were in college and they were letting us preacher boys preach, you know, one time at our church. I remember this old boy, this old buddy is a good old red-headed, freckle-faced buddy of mine. He old rich. He got up and he stood there and he was nervous. He said, oh, my, uh, my uh, subject tonight Oh, it's my sermon tonight is God. And we all sitting out there going, oh, Jesus. <laughs> we're going to be here all night. <laughs> and about eight minutes later, he went, let's pray. <laughs> he was done. <laughs> but uh, that was fun. That was so funny. Now he's probably going, you know, 57 minutes. But... uh Back then, was, that's all he knew. About eight minutes worth of God, that was it. Uh, but his church today wishes it was just an eight minutes. 
Well, so tell me, because here, here you were a pastor, so you were supposed to be destined for uh, pathetic isolationism, and yet you came to a place where you hungered for community and even to have insight in how to break it down in your own life. Uh, like I said, you wanted to experiment with this before you wrote it down for other people. You wanted to live it out. Uh, how in the world uh, did you come to that place? Because that is vulnerable and unusual for a pastor. Uh, well, you know, when I was a pastor, you know, I, I was trying to, you know, grow a church and do all that, you know, you know, and, you know, I've always done banquets and stuff and comedy and voice impersonations. And, you know, sometimes I look back and at times I look back and I was almost imitating what I thought a pastor or preacher should be. Mm-hmm. And that, isn't that sort of weird? You know, yeah, I look yeah. back and I was, you know, you, you, you're trying to be what, you think a preacher is well what is a preacher well whatever preacher you saw or grew from or learned from or that you idolized or whoever your mentor was or which which is fine you know i mean that's you know you have a pattern from somewhere you know that you sort of learn from or a style but uh but anyhow, so while I was doing all that, you know, uh, we had a we had a good uh, big men's breakfast every once a week, and we were at sixty men at that. But I thought, you know, this this ain't cutting it. You know, this, you know, you're not we're not, you know, you come in there, you eat, and you know, you burp, and and we yeah. have a little bit of a Bible study, and then everybody leaves. But we're not really no one's really getting to really talk or get to know each other. And I just, I just sort of became convicted that we're, we're missing it. Yeah. And I, and I enjoyed, you know, so I left the pastor in 95, but I started, the, I said, but I, I, I quit the big group, which upset a lot of men. And I started this, a small group was in you know, about seven or eight of us. And, um, uh, and I just felt that's the way to go. And mm-hmm. so we were very open and very vulnerable and started that way. And then we, you know, after a while started, some of the guys there, I said, guys, you need to venture out. I want y'all to start another group. They did. You know, it's interesting that I know for sure two of those men that were in that group now, here all these years later, John and Pat have been starting groups ever since mm. and they go to at least two groups different groups a week those two laymen one's yeah. a real estate guy and one's a, you know men will do it if you let them do it and and leave them alone and yeah. let them leave you know so i just i learned a lot from them now i also learned that when i left the pastor you know at that time you know there were some people wanted me to leave you know that i could have stayed but you know, when the, I was the type when the kitchen got hot, I was the type that would get out of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But so when I was leaving, you know, I you know I, I had some hurt and pain, you know, and you know, but I but I'd always wondered if I could ever do this at the same time. So when you leave a pastorate, you know, and you're not going to another church, it's sort of a scary time in your life. You know, mm-hmm. here I here I went to school 14 years after high school. I went 14 more years of school after high school. I, I mean, I can't imagine I did that. But, you know, I majored in Greek and religion. I went to seminary, got a master's. I got a doctorate. Go through all that stuff. And here all of a sudden, I'm leaving the pastorate, you know. Yeah. I feel like, you know, at that time you sort of feel like some people pushed you out. You feel like some people robbed you. They theft. You know, what are they, where do I go? What do I do? Well, you know, I, I knew I wanted to try this speaking thing, but where do, where do I go? Well, you know where you go? Well, who do you go to? You go, do you go to other preachers? Well, yeah, I can call a couple of preacher buddies, but you know what? They're busy. They got stuff going on. 
and and they can sort of listen to you for a while and you know weep with you a little bit, man. For, hey, Swan, you want me to look out for see if I can find another church for you or something? You know, put your name in. No, I tell you, you know what I learned? You know who you go to? You go to men. Mm. You go to buddies. And fortunately, I had a few buddies. And I went to them. I went to my golfing buddies. I went to my men buddies. I was so fortunate to have three or four buddies. Mm -hmm. And those guys are my buddies. Now, at that time when I resigned, I left and moved to Fort Worth, left Monroe and, and West Monroe and moved to Fort Worth. Basically, to sort of get out of the way so that the next preacher would have free reign, you know? Yeah. And uh, and operate basically out of Fort Worth, Dallas. But after about two years, I missed West Monroe, Monroe. I mean, I'm a Texan. I'm from Austin. My wife's from Fort Worth. But uh, David Youth had followed me at First Baptist West Monroe, and, and uh, David Youth did a great job. Now he's at First Baptist Orlando. Mm-hmm. But uh, I called David and I said, hey, David, w- would it bother you if I moved back to West Monroe? And uh, he said, no, man. I said, hey, I promise I won't be a pain in the butt or nothing like that, you know. I mean, I'll laugh when you tell a funny, I'll, I'll amen when you, you know, I, <laughs> my, body, my body language, my body language will be nothing but yay, David. And, uh, but anyhow, we met and everything. We moved back. I mean, we, we almost moved back sooner, but I thought, well, I might, you know, I need to give my emotions a little time. We moved back to West Monroe, Louisiana. Now, why in the world would somebody move back to West Monroe, paper mill town, West Monroe, Louisiana? And why would I move back there when I've got to travel 150 events a year? Uh, I was doing a had a TV show Swan's Place that I did in Dallas, and I was doing this and that and focus on the family and blah blah blah, and sort of on a little bit of a roll, you know, and all that stuff. Why would I go back to West Monroe, Louisiana? I will tell you why. John Ray, yeah, Pat Williams, John Shepard. Joe Thomas, Dix Johnston. That's why. Yeah. And my wife has her still magnolias. Mm-hmm. Judy, Deborah, Shirley, Pam, Brenda. And that's why today we live in West Monroe, Monroe. Period. Yeah. Because a, a small group of friends, and I'm gonna tell you something. This is this sounds sort of crazy too. If if and and they're and these guys are they're like my big brothers, you know. They're John 69, my closest buddy. John is 69, and Pat is 73. Those are my two closest buddies here. If they die, I mean, I could see myself leaving. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. And I've been here 22 years. Yeah. Uh, now my oldest son lives here. That might keep me, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, I came here because of my buddies. Yeah. And so I learned. I learned through all that that men need buddies. Preachers need buddies. And so I preach to preachers all the time. You don't need another preacher buddy to be your best friend. Oh. You need laymen. You need real men. Let real men be your buddies. Mm. And so starting out with those guys, and it grew, and over the years, we did the man code with all the different groups. David Youth did it. You know, David Youth was his group. They did the man code. And, you know, and way before we ever started writing that sap sucker, and, and we saw that it worked. And, uh, Men need men in their lives. They need buddies. Men are lonely. Deep down, we're, we we miss we miss having buddies. I mean, I love my wife. I love my sugar baby. My honey, love. But 
I sure enjoy being with my buddies. Yeah. You know? I've just been reading uh, reading through a first draft of a book that a guy at our church wrote on traveling together. And he, he opens with Genesis talking about Adam being alone and, and how when we read about God making Eve, we usually focus on God giving him a wife. And mm-hmm. he talks about, yeah, I, I think that's part of it, that, yeah, there's a wife and, yeah, there's procreation that's going to happen. But he was really making a companion, and it really didn't have to do with making a woman but a friend and a traveling companion for life, and that was not gender-specific, and that in our lives, that's what we're built to long for. That's built. That's what we're built to need. And I think the thing that you're saying that's so important for listeners to hear is if we wait until we're in deep water to start trying to reach out and develop friendships, that's really the... Uh, the worst time to start. It is a place to start, but it's the worst place to start. You were able to yep. reach out to friendships that you had already cultivated when you got to deep right. water, and they yeah. were there. Right. They were so there. the time is now to start to develop that, and so many of the promises of Scripture are built into friendships. You know, you talk about what happens in the number three and you're just talking about confess your sins, confess those secrets to one another and pray for each other, and then you'll be healed. I mean, we're just talking about basic promises of Scripture that happen in friendship when we have companions. And God said, hey, it's not good for you to be alone. Stop being alone. And he said that when Adam is like face-to-face cruising through the garden with God. So that should have been enough. And God said, nope, it's not enough. I didn't build... I didn't build you for this alone. Yeah. You need other people in your life. Yeah. So it's a profound truth that you're talking about. I hope people are hearing what you're saying right now. You know, I... I, We need friends. Yeah, we need friends. Yeah. I I find myself quoting my friend Scott Grissom a lot when I'm talking, especially to college audiences. When I'm talking to college guys, Scott said something that always just stuck in my head. He was talking to some young men one day, and he said, "He said, fellas, if five years from now you're married, you wake up one morning, and you look over, and you're lying next to your best friend, he said, that it will be a wonderful thing. But if five years from now you're married, you wake up the morning, you look over, and that woman there is your only friend, you're screwed, and so is she. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh Scott! Oh Scott! <laughs> I mean, he has a way with words, but you know. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got to. You know, uh, my honey love is my my woman, and I hope we we've got thirty four <laughs> in. I hope we go sixty eight. Yeah. And uh, and all that, and I, and. Uh, you know, she's my, she's she's my best one. You know, and I, I'm yeah. her best. And, but you know, there's certain she's just not made to have to handle everything. Yeah. But that my buddies, my buddies can shoulder some things that she shouldn't have to shoulder, and and mm-hmm. they can take the load off of her that she shouldn't have to bear. Yeah. And 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 that because their men are more equipped for it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like the other day, I'm driving down the road, and, man, I'm I, I'm just having some heavy-duty, you know, thought stuff and crud. And, you know, man, here I am, you know. I mean, I'm usually I'm pretty good about stuff, you know, and and uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm – but all of a sudden, it, it just started overwhelming me, you know. I mean, you know, every man lust and all that kind of yeah, stuff, sure. you know, and, and – but it was just, you know, sort of heavy duty on me. It really sort of. So what do you do about it? But it was really sort of scaring me, you know. Because you know, I mean, none of us are above it. I guarantee you. Say you're you're not above it. You get the next thing you know, you're in big trouble, and you're on uh, the O'Reilly factor or something. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
and you know America's ministry of encouragement, you know, or something. So when you get a little scared like that, what do you do? Well, I've learned with boys being AA and celebrate recovery and all that stuff. You know what you do? You call your sponsor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> you go. You go. You go to a meeting. Yeah. You know, well, where did they learn that? Well, you know, when you're tempted, you know, you, you know, uh, sin, or if you lapse or relapse, what do you do? You, you don't just go tie one on. You, you confess it. You know, you get with someone. You confess with your brothers. You, you know, and uh, so they keep you from going astray and encourage one another. Uh, so you know, I had one. You know, in your sometimes in your three, you know. You might have one that he might, you know, if you, if I was to tell him, he's like, well, what in the heck's wrong? You, you perverted? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. He, 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 it may not be, he, he can't, that might, he, I ain't going there with him. He, I, mm-hmm. I just had around. Now, if I, something else, I could tell him. And then this other one, it, it, 50-50. But now this other dude, uh, he probably lusts more than I do. So, you know, so I'll, 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 call, I'll call him, yeah. you know, but but he's a strong believer. And so I call him, and I just tell him. Yeah. And you know what? He he talks and says, hey, man, that gum swan, I know, man. And, hey, listen, you know, and he gave me a scripture, and he said, Swan, you know what? Here's the deal. You know, you, you're not big on scripture memory. And I go, I know, quit bringing that up, dang it. You know, I, I'm, I'm ADD and I'm not, you know, I'll put a card, I'll put a card on my, on my dash. You know, so I don't have to memorize it. So, well, you might ought to memorize it, you know, so that just sort of help you. But just, you know what, just talking to him and just having told him. Yeah. Diffused, diffused it yeah. for me. To get through, and you know, I've I've done pretty good. And now, you know how many times I've had to call somebody about that arena of my life uh, once in 20 years. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was just a couple of months ago that I had to do it. Well, you know what? You sometimes you got to do that. Yeah. And you well, and but I, it was better that I called him. And dealt with it than probably to call Laurie. Oh, sure. Now, I could have called. I could have called her, and and I did sort of call her later and sort of just I gave her the tip of the iceberg, sort of, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But I gave him more than you know the part that hit the bottom of the Titanic, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I gave her just sort of the you know the boy you know. Uh, with a gal on top of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Acting goofy on the bow, but, you know. And she just started, oh, okay, well, you know. Just got to stay busy and stay occupied. I went, okay, okay dear, thank you. <laughs> okay, where do you want to go eat? I'm going, okay. Like, um, you ain't got a deck, I'm a clue. And so I told her one time, I said, I wish you could be a man for one minute. One minute. You know, I'm going, no, I take it back. I said, I wish you could be a man for one day. And she, and she said, I wish you could be a woman for one minute. I went, I'll, I'll stay a man. I'll stay a man. <laughs> Especially like last night when I'm there, I got my CPAP machine on and I got it on perfect. And she's got the fan on the ceiling going, the air conditioner's on 67. She got a fan by the lamp that's blowing over her onto me. I'm seeing crystallization on my mask. I'm going, I'll, I'll stay a man. I will stay a man. I don't know what is going on. Okay, next question. <laughs> my question is, how do uh, how do our listeners find out where you're doing your thing or uh, pick up a copy of your book, Mr. Dennis? Oh, well, hey, uh, DennisSwamberg.com. Uh, you know, check out my own website. Uh you know, all kind of propaganda on there. Uh, I love, I love, I love preaching and and uh, encouraging and entertaining and got books and DVDs and CDs and uh, even had a thing on there that Dusty and I did with Doctor Cook called Begin Recovery. Uh, an online program, online program of twelve hours of uh, 
DVDs by Dr. Cook, who started Palmetto uh, Recovery Rehab just east of uh, Monroe, which has been in the top five in the country, and to try to help faith-based people, you know, churches and stuff, you know, the elephants sitting in their, you know, room and no one wants to talk about it. And uh, Dusty's testimony is on there. And what's what's even ironic about that, we just got that going uh, a few weeks ago, and we've had it done. And what's interesting is the little did we ever dream this would happen, but the first one to go through it was my oldest son, Chad. Wow. And, I mean, you know, it's sort of like, it's almost like a Billy Graham movie. <laughs> Chad going through it. And Chad the other day said, Dad, it's all right if you want to tell people I was the first one through it. I hate for, I hate for Dusty to take it all on the chin about the, being an alcoholic. I might as, well, might as well go ahead and tell them both of your sons are. I went, okay, son. Well, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to be tender. Well, I'm fine, Dad. Okay, uh, okay, son. Beautiful. Whatever, but anyhow, that's on there in the man code. But also you can go to themancode.net. And uh, we also have the man code uh, on uh, six 30-minute DVDs and uh, that, you know, men's groups and churches can have a six-week study, and that's cheaper than having me come live, you know. Mm -hmm. So you can get it that way. But... uh, Mancode.net. Yeah, Mancode.net or Dennis Swanberg.com. Dennis Swanberg.com. That's Swanberg. Swan like the bird made of a giant mass of ice. Swanberg. D-E-R-G. People have always wondered if I was Jewish. And I said, well, Swedish. I'm Swedish. I'm a sense I'm not cussing. That just means Swedish boy, so. <laughs> I don't want I don't want someone out there going, Man, I think he said some kind of cuss word on me. No, you would not be boy, you would not be the first I on the Pirate Monk podcast, yeah. I know. <laughs> I, sometimes I use Greek and Hebrew just so that, you know, I mean God knows what I'm saying, but everybody else gives me a pass, you know. But I'll I'll deal with God later. <laughs> well, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, 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 an encouraging and stimulating, thought-provoking conversation. I'm sure uh, our thousands of listeners are going to find this very helpful. It'll be up on the uh, it'll be up on the Samson Society website later on today. And uh, hey, you want to tell everybody who's uh, coming on next week? Oh. Yeah. I would love to if only I had that before me, which I do not. I know it's uh, – I forgot her name. It's the author of The Devil in Pew Number 7. Uh, well, let me, let me go ahead and tell them. It's Rebecca Nicholas Alonzo, Nichols Alonzo. There you She's go. a dynamic speaker on betrayal and the power of forgiveness. It's going to be fantastic. So that is next week on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And by the way – uh, Dennis, you have been the guest on this podcast number 100. Ooh. Lordy, Lordy. You are on this. Well, hey, the 100 hey, that's pretty awesome. Hey, as, as Ronald Reagan would say, uh, well, listen, uh, that's awesome, and, and, and boys, don't feel bad about uh, memory. Uh, yes, no, uh, maybe. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> uh, well, sometimes things slip past me, too. <laughs> All right. Oh, We're going hey, to thanks this for having up. me on. And hey, I apologize for talking so much, but I'm a that gum talker and I didn't take my riddling today. So, uh, you know, but thanks for letting me share about the man code. I hope folks will check it out. I'm sure they will. Yep. Thanks so much, Dennis. Hey, thank y'all. All right. Well, we have reached the end of our show. I think it's time for all of us to sign off. So um, I'm Nate Larkin for Aaron Porter, Mondo Grimes, and our executive producer, Jay Spiegel, saying goodbye. We'll see you next week on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Give yourself.